kiddos. So everybody say, bye, kiddos. Awesome kids workers. They have signs and everything. Wow. Wow. Go ahead and pull out a Bible, something to take notes with. We believe in taking notes around here, so grab something, phone, paper, that Bible underneath you. Maybe you just write new notes in a different Bible every week. I don't know how you do it, but something to take notes with. Open up to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. We've been spending a lot of time there the last few weeks, right? Sam and Sarah have been here. They know. We believe church is a participation sport, right? We've all got a part to play this morning. Open up to Genesis chapter 1. Um, we are going to continue a series this morning, and we are going to continue that by uh, having a conversation and talking this morning about what I would assume, and maybe it's dangerous to assume this, but it might be accurate. If, it's, if you're like me, it's true for you as it is for me. The most, I want to talk about the most complicated relationship in your life, and that's the relationship you have with yourself. <laughs> Amen, anybody? <laughs> You're, uh, you're, I don't know if you know, but yourself is kind of like a huge part of your life. Yourself is a big part of yourself. If you're anything like me, you, you spend quite a bit of time with yourself. Uh, you spend quite a bit of time talking to yourself, uh, thinking to yourself, thinking about yourself. Anybody else's self a large part of their life? And uh, like I said, I don't know every single one of you, uh, but if you're anything like me, something I do know about you and, and yourself is that nothing is ever your fault, Right? Am I right with, is it just me? Like, I'm, I've, I, after all these years of living, I've just come to that one realization. Nothing is ever my fault. And uh, maybe Heather and I had a conversation about that this morning. <laughs> maybe we didn't. That's not what we're here to talk about. <laughs> we're in a series that uh, is called Cultural Architects right now. My throat's bugging me, so we're just going to chug some water together. <laughs> Amen. Hydrate or die, right? Cultural architects. And uh, we've been talking about we want to be a people who construct the culture of the kingdom of God in the middle of the world we're living in. We're living in a culture that uh, maybe isn't mo- it doesn't have its momentum going towards the things of God, towards the things of the kingdom. And so as people who are trying to follow Jesus and live out the culture of his kingdom, it can really we can kind of feel like we're in conflict with people, even when we don't want to be, not for the sake of conflict, but sometimes there's things people want uh, of you that maybe God doesn't want of you. Anybody ever felt that? We, we know the tension of what it feels like. And talking about a word like culture, that, that can kind of be a word that maybe it gets used a bit, but it's like, what's the actual definition of culture? And for this week, I wonder if the definition of culture could just be culture is what happens when you put a bunch of selves together who are trying to figure themselves out. Culture, that's where it just kind of, it just kind of, whatever happens when you do that, that's what we're talking about when we talk about culture. Now, by, by a show of hands, uh, who, and this, I'm, I'm like, I'm not, this isn't rhetorical, like, don't actually raise your hand, right? We're a hand-raising church, as they say, I guess. <laughs> Thank you for the four of you thought that was funny. <laughs> anybody ever been in junior high? Did anybody ever spend time in junior high by a show of hands? Wow, a strikingly small number of people. <laughs> anybody ever spent time in junior high? All right, <laughs> way to go. Junior high, junior high. I don't know if, if, if this is true in your life, but junior high seems to get a, pit, a pretty bad reputation, right? Uh, like very few people look back on junior high with fond memories. It's sort of the stage in life that gets the reputation of being, quote, the awkward stage of life. It just kind of, when, when people say junior high, it's just sort of whatever is awkward in life, just throw it in that bucket. That was not fun. It was awkward. And, and it's true. I mean, junior high is pretty, pretty, a pretty awkward time of life, and it can be pretty hard to navigate all of that stuff, that awkward stuff. Like, you're, you're changing. Life is changing. Your friend groups change. Your interests are changing. You're trying to figure out kind of who you are, what you like. Not just what you like, but what, what you are like, you know, and, and where you fit, who you fit with. Like, it's, it's a little bit of an awkward situation. And like I said, that's true about junior high, and those are all difficult elements of junior high. But I think that we all honestly do ourselves a, a disservice uh, to, to, to our own selves and to the people around us when we pretend like all of that ended in junior high. <laughs> like, like I, I just turned 30 a couple weeks ago, and... Maybe this is just true for me, but I've noticed that none of those things have gone away. 
Like, life is still changing. I'm still changing. Things are still changing. Friend groups still change. Interests still change. And maybe this is a little bit too honest, but, like, there's still plenty of times when I'm asking some version of the questions, like, who am I? Like, what am I doing? Where, where do I fit? Who do I fit with? Anybody kind of never finished junior high, if that's what junior high means? Like, it just kind of keeps going. And I, I believe that, that some of these difficulties of, of junior high or difficulties of life, these challenges that we have to navigate, they, they hit on, the reason it's hard is because they hit on some core questions that I think all of us are, are asking about ourselves to better understand ourselves. You know, we want to understand ourselves, and so we got to ask ourselves some questions. And I think that we're all asking really the same questions. And these challenges, the things that we have to navigate are, are hit on sometimes a lack of an answer to these core questions. What I mean is like two really core questions. I think there's three, but the first two is, is this the big question like, who am I? Just me, okay. Who am I? Like, what all that that encompasses, who, who am I? And then the second question I think kind of goes along with it. After you kind of try to figure out who, who am I, who are you, what, what is my purpose or, or what is my passion? What, what, what is the reason that I'm here? What's my calling is maybe a different way we could answer it. I think we're all asking versions of the question, who am I and what is my purpose? And if we're going to be people who construct the culture of the kingdom of God, we're going to have to use ourselves to do it, right? We don't have many other resources than ourselves. <laughs> so we got to figure out how to use that selves. And I'm so thankful that uh, just like God has been speaking to us through Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 throughout this whole series to speak to how we build this culture, he speaks directly to yourself right from the beginning, right to the depths of the core of these questions that every single one of us have in ourselves. Who am I and what am I doing in Genesis 1, 26 and 28? Can we read it again for the 30th week in a row? Then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Right in the beginning of creation, in the midst of sort of before even creating humanity and then in the process of creating humanity, God speaks directly to these two huge questions that we're all asking. Who, who am I? God wants you to know you are made in the image of God. You, you, you were made intentionally. You have value because you are who you are. God says, I put the value inside of you. You are not this accident that just happened and developed and all of these sort of things. Regardless of the circumstance that you came from, God says, I made you. I made you to be like me, to look like me. That's who you are. You are an image carrier of God to the earth. That's who you are. Why, why am I, what is my purpose? God speaks directly to the purpose of humanity right away. When he says, be fruitful, multiply, multiply. I, I've called you, you have a purpose of living a life that expands. Living a life where you carry the image of me and spread my image around the earth. You have a calling, you have a purpose to, to walk with God as an image of him and display that image to the world. You're not here on accident. You're not aimless. You're not purposeless. You don't need to wait on getting exact words for your specific unique calling. In this whole picture, God says you are who I have called you to be. And the Bible continues to expand in the great story of God. You are not just made in the image of God. You are a child of God. Even though you were far from God and a sinner, he's reborn you as a saint and he's called you into his kingdom. You don't need to know, wonder who you are and why you are here. You are here because you are somebody to carry the love of God to the earth around you. And God says, if you can get those two things straight, we'll just let everything else fall into place. The two core questions God speaks directly in the beginning of creation to the depth of yourself to tell you who you are and why you're here. And that's awesome. But there's a big third question that comes up. And I think we see it come up in Genesis 3. If you're like me, you may have to turn a page to find Genesis 3. 
The story continues of, of, of humanity in, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. We've skipped the whole chapter that has some important pieces of this puzzle, which you can go back and read sometime, and you'll figure out some of these references to this and that and in the midst. You know what I'm saying? We'll get there. Verse 4, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing Good and evil. Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. The other question that I think that we're asking at the core of who we are, that, it, that works in tandem with who am I and why am I here, is essentially, I would say, what the, what the words that our culture is putting it to, put the words that our culture is putting to this question these days is how do I live my best life? Who am I? What am I here for? And how do I do that? That's what we're all saying. We say, how do I live my best life? How do I live out who I am and why I'm here? How do I live my best life? How do I live out who I am, live out what I'm called to? How, how do I be happy? How do I be satisfied? How do I get fulfilled? Y'all looking at me like you never thought that before. <laughs> how do I live this life that I'm made for? If, if God's made me and called me, how do, how do I do it? And, and we all face this moment that Eve faces in Genesis chapter 3. I think that Eve gets faced with this question. Well, how are you going to live out who God made you to be and what he's called you to do? The, and, 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 and the way that it gets faced to her is essentially with this thought, is God's way of life really my best way of life? The serpent comes and says, okay, so God gave you some boundaries uh, like this. And she's like, well, no, that's not it. You, you, the, the boundaries were actually this. He's like, okay, regardless of what the boundaries are, do you really think that was right? Like, there's still something you can't do. Don't you think you should be able to do that? What he's saying is, okay, God gave you some boundaries on how to live out who you are and what you're called to do, but do you really think that those boundaries are all that necessary? Can you really trust him that everything that you're called to be, all that you are, your best self, can really be limited inside of those little boundaries? Do you really think that God's way of life that he's lined out is going to lead you to your best life? I think we all get faced with this question. She sees that she doesn't have something, that, that, that there's something that God hasn't given to her, given access or what, however you would want to say it. And, and it, pulls on, it pulls on herself. Her, it pulls on Eve's whole self. It says that, uh, that, that she saw that it was good for food. There was something that, that her body wanted that she couldn't have. It, it pulled on her, her, her body. It says that, uh, that, that, that it, was, it was a delight to the eyes. Like, like, like she had this soul longing. You know, I don't think it just means it looked good, but when something looks good, have you ever noticed how like your insides are kind of tied to your eyes and when you see something that looks nice, you just kind of, mm. <laughs> it was a delight to her eyes. Her soul wanted this thing that she didn't have. And it says it was desired to make one wise. Eve's mind wanted this thing. Her body, her soul, her mind, herself wanted this thing that she didn't have. And she's faced with the question, is God's way of life really going to lead me to my best life? Can I trust him? This isn't just Eve's story. I think that we all have this story. I think we all have this story. And, and, and in the big cultural conversation about self, I think that we've got to start dialoguing with God about some of these things. We've got to start talking about this because if we can't get ourselves following God, how are we going to build a culture that follows God? Because it just starts with, it starts with yourself and, my, and myself. And the truth is in this great cultural dialogue of how does one live his or her best life or the hashtag of how do we live our best life? What does my best life look like? We have to understand that no matter what may tell us or what may tug on us, what might pull on ourself, the best life that God's called you to, the, the, the life that God made you for and has called you to, that best life 
is not a life of indulging yourself. It's, it's not simply just a life of indulging yourself. You're not going to find yourself in the indulgence of yourself. He says you, you, you aren't going to find yourself by just searching within yourself. You, you're not going to just find that if you go digging, you're not the only thing you're going to find. Have anybody ever found that out? I'm just going to stay within myself. There's some other things inside yourself. <laughs> There's some other things inside myself that seem to want to come out every once in a while. It's not just indulging yourself. It's not just searching within yourself. And, and, and you're made for more than promoting yourself. Like, if you want to really find yourself, your world's got to be bigger than yourself. And the pole is to just focus on yourself. And there's a promise that if you'll narrow in your focus on yourself, you'll find yourself. But you're only going to find yourself if you broaden your view, broaden your world, broaden your purpose, broaden your calling, broaden your focus bigger than yourself. If you want to know who you are, if you want to fulfill your purpose, and, and that's what I mean when I say if you want to live your best life, if you want to live yourself, you have to surrender yourself. That's the reality. Yourself is not going to be found in indulgence, in searching, or in promotion. It's found in surrender. That is where you will find yourself. God has clearly outlined for us in his word how we as individuals, how we as a community, how we as a culture, how we as humanity at large can live our best life. I, what, and what I mean is he, he's, he's telling us that our best life is found in surrender to him. And I'm so thankful that he makes it clear. What does a life look like that's surrendered to God? Because that can sound good. Just surrender yourself. Okay, but what does it look like? What's it look like? What's a surrendered self look like? I think that there's three things that you will find all through the scriptures at the basic core of a surrendered self. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. I want you walking out of here ready to do something with yourself with some direction for yourself, with some clarity for yourself. What do I need to aim myself at if I really want to be myself? We're complicated. I am. <laughs> you are, trust me. <laughs> A surrendered self, something that we see throughout the scriptures, throughout the world, throughout history, if you see somebody who has lived a surrendered life for the long haul. You know what I'm talking about? The 40-year, the 50-year people. I'm always thankful for those folks, the ones who have been through something, the ones who have seen some things, who have made some mistakes and still gotten up, and God still used them. I'm really thankful for that. It starts, a surrendered life has to have the core element of intimacy with God. Intimacy with God. If you want to find yourself, be yourself, live your best life, you have to be close to Jesus. You've got to be close with Jesus because uh, your, your, yourself is really trying to get to know yourself. At least mine is. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to get to know myself. And, and that's, not like, that's not necessarily wrong. I think sometimes in these self-conversations, it's like, why are we so complicated? It's like, because we're selfish and all that kind of stuff. It's like, well, that is a problem. But I think the bigger complication is just that we exist. <laughs> you know, like, like we're complicated we're, and we're complex because we are. Like, I think and therefore I am, or how is it? I don't know. It's like I'm right here, and I'm just here being complicated. And uh, we, we, we need to get to know ourselves. We start getting in relationships, and it's beneficial if you kind of get a better understanding of yourself in the midst of relationships. Am I right? You know, so, so it's not bad to get to know yourself. That's not one of these messages. That's like if you just forget about you and everything gets taken care of. It's like please don't. <laughs> like please consider your attitude and stuff. Yourself is trying to get to know yourself, but the, the, the problem with that is when we try to get to know our, ourself before we do anything with ourself. We don't think we can do anything else until we know ourselves. We don't think we can go anywhere until we get ourselves straightened out. I would love to do that, but I got to work on me. And that's true. You do need to work on you. But I don't know if you've ever noticed this in your own life or in any buddy's life that you've walked with or said, you know, I, I, I would love to do that. I just need to work on me. It's astounding how rarely I get around to working on me when I'm waiting to do anything before I work on me. <laughs> Can we be, is that making sense to anybody? It's like, so it's good to step into something that's going to make you work on you because it puts the pressure on, right? 
Sometimes it's good to step into something that's going to stretch you because it makes you work on you. And you may know you need to work on you, but if you're just going to put it off but not put on any outside stimulus to work on you, you're going to look up in a couple years and realize you never got around to working on you or doing anything else that God's called you to. I'm getting all over the place here. Yourself is trying to work on yourself before you do anything with yourself. And that, that's where we run into problems. I want you to know that the best way and really the only way to get to know who you really are is to get to know who Jesus really is. We say this sometimes around here, but God has really rigged the system. Like everything you want in your life, everything you want as a person, as an individual, as a human, it's found in Jesus. He's like rigged. He's like, yeah, I, I would love to give that to you. I'm right here. It's like he really wants to be in relationship with you. It's like, come on, let's be friends and I'll give you everything. You know, I'll, I'll let you know who you are, but you can only know who you are when you know who Jesus really is. The one who, the one who made you has a much better understanding of you than you. And so don't just go searching inside of you to find you because you don't know you. And you didn't put you together. You didn't call you. You weren't made in your image. And God's saying, come on close. If, if you'll trust me with yourself and give your whole self to knowing me, I'll let you know what you need to know about yourself. And I'll straighten out the things about yourself that needs to get straightened out along the way. I'll fix some things about yourself. I'll add some things that you didn't know you knew about yourself and had about yourself. Let me take care of yourself if you'll take care of knowing me. And this is the walk of faith. See, like, there's all these things that we can go to trying to, trying to get to know ourselves. And, and I know I'm going to step on toes, but I don't mean to. But, like, the Enneagram and all that kind of stuff is awesome for knowing some things about you, but only Jesus can help you know you. So I'm not saying the Enneagram's bad. I'm saying it's not God. You know, and it's not about the Enneagram. You know what I'm saying. Like, there's so many things we go to. It's like, if I could just go do this, then I'll really know me. No, you'll know something more about you. But if you want to know you, you got to go to Jesus. If you really want to know who you are, you've got to know to Jesus. Only knowing God can help you know you. In John chapter 4, you can turn there if you want. We're going to just read a couple of verses here. But in John chapter 4, we run into a story with Jesus. He's walking down the street. Some things happen. His disciples go off to do something. And he finds himself on a hot day sitting next to a well in Samaria. And he's talking to, um, he's talking to a Samarian woman. We talked about the Jewish-Samaritan dynamic last week. So we don't need to rehash that. But it's a little bit of an awkward situation for this Jewish man, Jesus, to be at this well with this Samaritan woman. They begin talking, which they shouldn't have done, but that's not really the point. The point is that this woman is coming to the well because she's thirsty. She's thirsty. And, and Jesus starts talking to her, and, and he basically unpacks her whole life for her. And uh, it's cool to read about it, but imagine being her in that moment. He, like, read, he like reads her mail, as we would say. Like, how many marriages she's had, the guy she's with right now isn't her husband. And it's like, whoa, bro. <laughs> like, first of all, who are you? <laughs> Second of all, let's not talk about any of that. Have Jesus ever wanted to talk about something you didn't want to talk about? <laughs> Jesus unpacks her whole life, starts, you know, her, her whole life. She, you know, like we just said, she's had five husbands. She's with a guy right now, the sixth guy. He's not even her husband. And so she's sitting at this well, and she's thirsty for some water. But what Jesus is really telling her is that you're not just thirsty for water. You're thirsty. You're thirsty for something. Your inside, yourself is thirsty. You've got a thirsty self. And you've spent your whole life going from well to well trying to satisfy your thirst. Going from well to well. For her, it was this guy and then that guy and then that guy and that guy and that guy and that guy. And it might have not have been a guy for you, but you've had a guy or two. You've, you've, been, to it, you've been to a few wells. <laughs> we could judge this lady, but I know what it's like to be thirsty. We try this and that, hoping the next thing will be the thing. For myself, to satisfy myself in the thirst that I have. And you go from well to well, and you still, you find yourself thirsty. And in John 4, verses 13 and 14, 
Jesus says this to the woman, and he says this to us this morning, I believe. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. He's pointing to the well. The well she's sitting at, the well you're sitting at, the well you've been to, the well you were at three times ago. He's pointing to the well. Everybody who drinks of this water will thirst again, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This is crazy. This is crazy. Jesus says those wells you've been at, those wells you're sitting at, you can drink all you want. And still you're going to be thirsty. You're drinking from the wrong well, you know it, but you still keep drinking. Anybody ever still continue to just keep drinking? But still, you're thirsty. Jesus contrasts the wells that we drink from with himself. He says, you can drink from all that all you want, but if you'll drink from me, you will never be thirsty again. And that would be good news if it stopped there. That'd be really good news if it stopped there. But it's so good, it doesn't stop there. He goes on. The water that I will give you, this water that you drink, this, this, ex, this, uh, this outside water that you try to drink in to fill your inward self, it doesn't just come from the outside to the inside and satisfy your thirst. The water I will give him will then become in you. It will well up. You've been going to wells, but you're going to become a well. Now what, what, where you were empty, not only will you be filled, but you will start to flow. It will become in you a spring of water welling up. To eternal life. You don't have to live your life hopping from well to well that disappoints. You get to drink from intimacy with Jesus. He's saying you're searching for something to fill yourself. Some identity. Who am I? Some purpose. Why am I here? Some direction. How do I live the life I'm called to live? And Jesus says you can go to every well you want to go to, but you're still going to be thirsty. Come to me. Drink from me. And I will give you a water that not only will satisfy your thirst, but out of you, you will become the well. You will become the well for eternal life. When you know Jesus, when you walk with Jesus, when you have intimacy with Jesus, he satisfies your thirst. And instead of trying to live your life filling up your empty self, you get to live your life pouring out because you are a well. You are called to be a well, not just go from well to well. Yourself is telling you that you need to be filled, and yourself is right about that. But when you walk in relationship with Jesus, he wants you to know not only do you get filled, but you become a flow. And if you really want to know who you are, if you want yourself to be satisfied, if you want who God's called you to be to flow out of you, you've got to give yourself that self that needs to be satisfied, that self that doesn't know quite if Jesus is going to follow through on what he says he's going to follow through on. You give yourself to that man and you let yourself flow, flow with the living water of Jesus. If you want to know yourself, you've got to know Jesus. And he's available to be known. I love the part when he came to her well. If you want to live your best life, you need to be committed to community. You need to be committed to community. That's a fun word. Sounds fun at least. You ever tried to do it? <laughs> community is, I, I, I feel like community is like a, a pretty, uh, I don't want to call it a buzzword like it's a bad thing, but everybody's talking about community, right? It's a big topic in our culture. Let's have community. Let's be community. Every sign says we're the best community. And uh, we, we can offer you the best community. Every gym you go to, it's a community, you know. And every, every, every whatever you want to join ever, it's just like, community, this is the one you're looking for, you know. And that's awesome because, and, you know, the Bible says that out of the overflow of our heart, our mouth speaks. The reason we're all talking about community is because we haven't found it and we really, really want it. If we all had it, we wouldn't have to talk about it so much. If it wasn't such a big need. We were finding it all these places that were promising it. Why are we still talking about it so much? Why are we jumping from place to place looking for this community? Because, well, we've got the thing in us that needs to be committed to community. That's not the problem. The problem is when you can't find it or you won't commit to it. <laughs> community can be amazing. Community can also not be amazing. 
Community can, can be kind of dangerous when, it, when it's just kind of an utopia word. <laughs> you know, like when it's just that and we, we kind of expect it to be something is not. And I think that, that community kind of becomes dangerous or not what it's supposed to be, not what it could be. Community becomes dangerous when it kind of just becomes a bunch of selves together that require each other to satisfy their own self. It's like, You know, like when we're all showing up with this internal unexpressed demand that I'm here because I need you to fill me. <laughs> Not good. <laughs> Not fun. And we call that community. And then you get really hurt by it and you're like, this feels weird. Maybe community isn't that good. And then you go to the next place and you're like, we're a community. And you're like, I'm out. Been there, tried that. It hurt. It was scary. You know, and all sorts of different things. I'm being light about it, but it's true. One thing that we talk a lot about around here, we've already said it several times this morning, is that we want church to be like family. We want this church to be like a family. And that sounds super cute and cuddly, but it's really not. Like, I don't know if you've ever been a part of a family. Has anybody ever been a part of a family? Um, families, are, families are interesting. They have a lot of different dynamics to them. Uh, they have a lot of complexities to them, which what I'm really saying is they have human beings involved. Like... Every family has people. And then you show up there too. You're like, all these people are weird, and they're thinking the same thing about you. <laughs> a healthy family takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of investment. Uh, it, it, takes, it takes a lot of personal responsibility. It's a huge piece of family. Personal responsibility. It takes a lot of humility. It takes a lot of trust. It takes a lot of a lot of things. It takes a lot of yourself to, to, to have and to create and to exist in healthy family. And I'm encouraged because one thing that people tell me literally just about every week around here, whether it's somebody who's been new uh, this week or new recently or whatever, I hear every week somebody saying, wow, it feels like family around here. Or, or I just heard two nights ago about another, another group of people who came recently, and they just had the same sentiment that I've heard literally 100 times, like, in the last two years. It's like, ah, it just feels like home. You know, and, like, that's really cool. And I'm super encouraged by that. What I'm trying to say is way to go. <laughs> Good job. Because that's not easy. And, uh, and you can't really fake that, you know. Like, that's for real. And, and I agree. I, I, I feel like this is family. You know, I feel like this is home for me, too. So I'm, I'm there, and we've got a, an amazing family culture here as a church. And so I want to speak really directly to that family culture because, like we've been talking about recently, is, uh, you know, we're, we're growing. You know, we started in my living room with 20 people, and we had, like, those 20 people for pretty much the first year, you know. And anybody remember the old national days? Oh. Praise God. <laughs> Those are great. And, and people have been coming up to me over the months, and they, they asked me kind of this question, talking about our family culture. People have been here kind of asked me this question, hey, as we grow, are we going to lose our family? Like, are we going to lose what it feels like family? It, it, like, we're all, we want, every, everybody needs Jesus, but can they go somewhere else? <laughs> and I'm like, no. <laughs> I mean, yes, but you know what I'm saying. But it's an honest question, you know, like, oh, shoot. When it was small, it felt like family. If we get bigger, whatever that means, whatever that number is, whatever that looks like, are we going to lose the family culture? And so I just want to speak to that question and let every single one of us know that at the end of the day, family culture comes down to each one of us. It's got nothing to do with Antioch. It's got nothing to do with size. It's got nothing to do with any of that stuff. It's got everything to do with you and everything to do with me. Like as soon as any one of us stops living out the family culture, that's where it ends. The flip side of it is as soon as any one of us starts doing it, that's when it multiplies. We can do that. We, not like we, Antioch, we, us in this room, we can do that. We can be family. The, the, the second that it becomes the church's job for, for you to connect with God instead of each one of our own personal responsibilities to carry our own hunger and come here. We don't have to come here perfect, but we do have to come ready to be like, all right, God, <laughs> even that's the best you got, still come and bring that, right? As soon as it becomes the church's job to do that for me, we've lost it. As soon as it becomes the host team's job to say hi to people and not my own job, we've lost it. 
right? Like, we don't have a host team so, to, so because people say hi. We say hi, and then that's why we have a host team, right? Like, they're just kind of catalyzing it, but we all do it. Like, as soon as it's somebody else's job to say hi to the person next to you, we lost it. As soon as it's somebody else's job to take care of the kids, as soon as it's somebody else's job to make life group what you hope it would be, as soon as it's somebody else's job, we lost it. Which means as long as it's my job, we can have it. And if we all do that together, we're never going to lose this culture that so many of you have told me you love so much. If we love it so much, let's give it away. Let's give it away and be committed to this community and knowing that we have a part to play in it. See, the church is way more like family on Thanksgiving than going to a movie. <laughs> like it, 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 it doesn't work when going to church is some professional's job to entertain, right? It works when it works more like showing up to family Thanksgiving. And it's like everybody's got something to do. And I'm not saying it's your calling in life to peel the potatoes, but somebody's got to do it. So just do it. <laughs> We'll just let that go. Mark chapter 8, Jesus says this in verse 34. He says, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, calling his church to him, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save him, his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. <laughs> this, is the all ver oh, this is the verse that we all hate about that references ourselves. <laughs> It's like, I'm trying to figure out myself. What do you mean deny myself? And like, you said this wasn't going to be one of those messages, you know. Jesus says, deny yourself. Take up your cross. Now, I want, I want us to just zoom out here. And, and, and Jesus can't actually be saying, like, uh, pretend you don't exist. Because you do. Okay, I do. So, okay, I'll just go here. There's a self to deny, and then there's a self that is denying that self, right? Like, when you deny yourself, you don't cease to exist. Okay. I thought that was going to be helpful. It doesn't sound like it was. So we're just going to keep going. <laughs> Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross. What he's saying is deny the self, not the self that God made you to be, the self that has, the self, the self that has to fight for itself. We deny that self. The self that has to satisfy itself. The self that requires somebody else's affirmation to give you value. That value, that self. The self that is having that need to promote itself. You got to deny that self and take up your cross, Jesus says, which means to embrace a different self. Because somebody's got to go to the cross, right? Like, deny you still exist. I forgot. It wasn't helpful. Embrace the, embrace the new self that Jesus gives you. Embrace the self that's ready to serve other people. Embrace that self. Embrace the self that celebrates others. Embrace the self that, that loves others. Embrace that self. He's saying community, we as the people, he called all of his followers together and saying, if we want to be a part of this community, it's not just about being a part of something that feels good all the time. It's not a brand. It's not a group. It's not a t-shirt. It's not a label. That, that's not what we're going for. And, and, and I'd love that what Jesus doesn't say in here is that we all have to agree on everything. And community at large is not just this idea that we all have to agree on everything. Like, and I'm thankful for that because we don't. Ooh. You're like, oh, shoot, who's getting excommunicated? Nobody. Because <laughs> we, can, we, can we can have different politics. We can have different opinions about how worship should go. We can have different opinions about this and that. We don't have to talk all the same and think all the same because ultimately church isn't just a group of people with shared values. The church that God has called us to commit to, this community that God's calling us to create is a group of individuals, a whole bunch of selves, a whole bunch of selves who have denied the selfish self, the one that has to pull off itself. We've denied that self. We've embraced the self that Jesus had, has called us to be, and, we, and we, are, we are surrendered to each other and to Jesus. See, that's where you're going to find community. Deny the self that's all about you. Surrender yourself to Jesus. Commit to the people of God. And God says, that's where you're going to find everything that you're looking for. We're not a community. This isn't church. This doesn't work because we share opinions or even share all the same, the same surface values at different levels. We're family because we share blood. That's what makes something family. I can celebrate you instead of being intimidated by you because this isn't about you. And this isn't about me. We're surrendered to Jesus. I, I, I can encourage you instead of being insecure around you. Because this isn't about you. 
And this isn't about me. This is about Jesus. I can serve you instead of waiting for you to serve me because this isn't about me and this isn't about you. This is about Jesus. I, I can let you speak into my life. I can let you correct me. I can let you shape me. I can let you rebuke me. I can let you encourage me. I can let you steer me because I know this isn't about me and this isn't about you. So I'm not going to be about me and you're not going to be about you. We get to do this together and be committed to one another. And this is about Jesus. So we can do this together. And when we, when we deny ourselves and take up our cross, embrace who Jesus has called us to be, when we do that individually and then we get in the same life and we're doing it all together, that's church. That's church. And God says commit to that. That's what a surrendered life looks like. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. We've got to be committed to a community that lives out the calling of God if we want to construct the culture of God. And lastly, a surrendered life is a life that looks like a life that makes disciples. A life that makes disciples. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus gives this instruction to every single one of us. And it's a, it's a picture of part of what a surrendered life looks like. Jesus gives everybody the instruction to go and make disciples. He says, do it of all nations. It doesn't just mean countries, though it does mean countries. It, it means people, like of, every, of everybody everywhere, your friends, your family, your coworkers, your neighborhood. Whoever's around you, give your life to helping people know and follow Jesus. And discipleship is one of those words that, if you ask 100 church people, you're going to get at least 100 different definitions of what discipleship is. And uh, we try to talk a lot about it, so we're like, we need a definition. So we can be all on the same page. Discipleship, what, what I want you to know discipleship is, is when we say that, we mean it's helping another person become a lifelong, obedient, reproducing follower of Jesus. That's what it means to make disciples. I want to commit my life, surrender my life to helping other people follow Jesus for their whole life, which means they obey him and help make disciples themselves. We need to make disciples. And if you've been in church much or been around this church much, that word probably isn't a new concept. Uh, like I said, maybe you have one of those hundred definitions um, in, in your own experience or in your own life. But the truth is that I, I don't think that actually, honestly, a high percentage of Jesus followers are, are really prioritizing how do, we, how do I personally as a Jesus follower make disciples? How do, how do I help somebody else follow Jesus? We I don't think that's because we don't want to. I think that uh, in, in my experience and talking with people, it's not that there's a high percentage of Jesus followers who are like, ah, forget that. That sounds lame. Let's pretend that's not in the Bible. <laughs> there's way more genuine questions than that, I believe, that, that I've asked, that, that I know people have asked me when it comes to making disciples. I think that people feel like they have to be on the sideline of making disciples because they don't think they can. And maybe that's you this morning. You're like, this message was great until you said make disciples because I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do that, and I don't know if you know me, but I'm not the right guy for that. I'm not the right girl for that. We have uh, been pretty clear this year so far, and I don't know if you noticed this, but it's June, <laughs> which means it's like the sixth month. We talked a lot about this at the beginning of the year, so I figured we'd take a few minutes to rehash something we're focusing on in a large way in our church this year when it comes to making disciples. We've narrowed down three roadblocks that, uh, that, that seem to be the most common three roadblocks that come up when we talk about spending time with Jesus, being intimate with Jesus, and making disciples. The first roadblock that seems like everybody either has in this room or you've had this at one point, and that is, that is I'm not ready to do that. I'm not ready to do that. What I mean by that is that there's a spiritual person out there who's ready to do that. Don't exactly know who they are or what they look like, but I just know it's not me. Right? Like, like there's somebody who's super spiritual and ready to connect with God. Like, that sounds awesome. I would love to do that, but I'm not ready for that. Do you know me? Make disciples. Like, I got stuff to work on. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out things. Like, I can't go be a guru for anybody. I'm not ready for that. And I know you need to grow. That's true. So do I. I know you're not perfect. I'm not either. But we're come, we, we, we've developed a super scientific spiritual definition for when you're ready to spend time with Jesus and make disciples. Are you ready for this? You are ready when you want to. When I read the Bible, that's what I see God saying to his people. He says, I want you to go do this. And every one of them says, I'm not ready. 
And he just basically says, well, do you want to? And once you want to, God's ready to use you. And yes, you do need to grow. It doesn't make you perfect, but it makes you willing, and that's what God's looking for. God prioritizes willing over qualified every time. If you want to, if you want to, in your heart, I want to know Jesus more. I want to help people know Jesus. If that's what you want, God looks at you and says, you are ready to do it. You are ready to do it. Are you willing to take the next step that God is calling you to? And what I've learned over the years is, in my life and in others' life, is that it's really easy to get distracted and discouraged by, like, big how questions. Like, okay, how do I do that? How, how do I do that? How, how, how do I spend time with God? How do I make disciples? But I've found that actually what's way more important than the how questions that we all have to ask, and they're good questions and they need to be asked, but what's way more important than how is the why. Why, why spend time with God? Why make disciples? Because there are, there are endless how questions about how we as individuals are going to spend time with God and make disciples. But I want you to know that when you know the why behind these things, you will always figure out the how. Why spend time with God? If you know what, the, the reason why to spend time with God is because God is real, he is alive, he loves you, and he wants to meet with you every single day and walk through you in your life, you're going to figure out how to do it. If that's why... If, you, if, if the why is because I told you to, who cares? Like, eh, I don't know how, we'll move on. But if this is about God being alive and, and me knowing who I am and what I'm called to and having direction to live the life that God's called me to live, and I can meet with that God, I will figure out how to make this work. And it's the same thing when it comes to making disciples. If, if, if the why behind But if the why is because you genuinely believe, as crazy as it sounds, that God wants to use you to impact other people's lives, that's it. If, if you believe that, you will figure out how to do it. That's the deepest why of discipleship. It's like, man, do I, if, if I believe God is, wants to use me and like actually will, okay, I can show up. I can, I can figure out how because I want to be a part of what God's doing, not just in my life and somebody else's life. You can you can do this. You are ready if you want to. And if you'll focus on the why, you will always figure out how. Let's be a why people. Let's be a why people. The first roadblock is I'm not ready to do those sort of things. The other two, we're not going to go really deep into, but they kind of work together. The other two roadblocks that, that have come up in my life and what I've heard from so many of your lives is, so number one, I, I, I'm not ready. Number two is I don't have time. And the third one kind of goes with it like I, I don't know what to do. I don't have time for that. I don't have time to wake up early to meet with somebody. And even if I did, well, then what? You know, like, so I got up and I have a Bible in my lap. What the heck am I supposed to do with this thing? <laughs> it's kind of big. And those are, those are legitimate, and, and I understand that. And, and where we decided we wanted to land as a staff this year is, I remember having so many conversations leading up to the year, and we're like, okay, if these are the three roadblocks, then what would happen if we as a church just put our head down and said we're going to give 2019 to to destroying these roadblocks. <laughs> Everything we can do to take away these roadblocks so that ultimately it just comes down to the choice of every individual say, if you want to, there's an on-ramp for you. And we've been trying to put together resources. We're going to be distributing these out over the rest of, of this week on different social media. And, and we've got it. If you want to just email Sam all your questions, he can answer every question you've ever had. <laughs> He's amazing. He's amazing. But I, I want you to understand these things. I just want to, I want to put these into words. And maybe it doesn't sound real deep or anything, but I want you to know that God's got your number. God, God, God put together yourself. And he doesn't want a little question, a little roadblock, like, oh, I'm not ready. I don't have time. I don't, I don't know what to do. And he's saying that may very well be, but that's still not enough to hold you back from what I called you to. God has not put together your great self to be held back by a question like that. <laughs> God's ready to use you. And if you're just willing, if you're just willing to say, okay, God, I'll let you use me. Where do I start? This is where you start. You just sign up. <laughs> you just sign up and say, okay, God, I'm in. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to show up in the morning. I'm going to start to have the dialogue with God and with other people. Who, who can I invest in in my life? We want to have those conversations with you. This is not the setting for that. I'm just trying to invite you into the conversation because this is how you live the life that God's called you to live. 
I'm not asking you to do this for me. I'm not asking you to do this for Antioch. I'm saying this is the life that God has called you to. If you want to live the life that God made you for, called you for, and wants to give you direction for, it starts with a surrendered life. It starts with intimacy with Jesus, a commitment to the community of God, and a personal commitment that I'm going to give my life away. I can be a part of being a disciple maker and helping other people know Jesus. And that's where we're going to end. <laughs> Go ahead and stand up. We're going to end church this morning with a worship song. And we love doing this. We love worshiping together at the end because we believe that uh, this isn't just a song to end a service. But uh, every week God does important things in these few minutes that we spend together at the end of our services. Where we just say, okay, God, we, we've received your word. Now, Holy Spirit, would you lead us in our next step? Would you lead us in our next step? That's who we want to be. We believe that it's a good thing to hear the word of God, but it's a great thing to respond to the word of God. And uh, God's been speaking to you this morning. I, I can't tell you what your immediate next step is, but that's why we're intimate with God. That's why we're in relationship with Jesus and not just me. This isn't about me and what I have to say. These are these moments where we say, okay, God, I want to surrender myself to you. I want to be close to you. I want to be committed to your people. I want to help spread your name in the earth. I want to help people around me know you. So what's my, what's my next step? And that's what these few minutes are all about. We're going to have a few people like we always do off to the side of the room. If you are uh, here this morning, you're just like, I need prayer for something. Uh, we've got an awesome prayer team that would love to pray with you. Uh, we just think that if you're in church, you should be able to get prayed for. So uh, that you don't have to have some specific thing necessarily, but there's just people who, who want to pray with you. Maybe you came this morning and you're like, I don't care what the message is about, I need something. I want you to be able to get prayed for this morning. God might be doing something in you this morning that you know you need to respond to. So many times, us just physically taking steps towards something helps solidify it into our hearts. But we need to be a people who surrender to Jesus this morning. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus at all, you know that you still have the sin that you have chosen in your life, just like Eve chose in Genesis chapter 3. God wants to set you free this morning. He wants to make you new. He wants to give you a new self by the grace of God this morning. If you will give your life to Jesus, you can be born again and launched into the person that God has called you to be. If that's you this morning, I want you to just talk with the person that brought you. You can go over and talk to somebody on the prayer team. Just do something. Don't walk out of here without accepting an invitation like that. And as we worship, you might need to just stay where you are. But all of us, I think we can just open up our hearts and say, okay, God, I'm surrendered. I'm in. I give you myself. And let's just ask God, make it clear, Lord, what's my next step? What's my next step in being in relationship with you, being committed to this community, and making disciples? Solidify in me who you've called me to be. Lord, we love you so much, and we thank you for church. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the invitation to know you today. We thank you for the invitation into the people of God. We thank you for the invitation to make disciples. We thank you that you have made the road clear this morning, how we can live the life that you've called us for. So would you come, Holy Spirit, and move among this room right now? Would you just make this next step clear like we prayed at the beginning? Whatever the next step is, God, I pray that we would all walk out knowing clearly what that looks like.